Father God, we do thank you for this opportunity that we have to come and study your word. We ask that you might open up this book for us, that you might uh, uh, guide us by your Holy Spirit as you guided holy prophets who wrote your word. Father, we ask that you might illuminate us, that we may see your glory, we pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Now, as I continue praying, please uh, remember that this is prayer even though I'm reading. The offspring of your servant, David, may you speedily cause to flourish and enhance his pride through your salvation. For we hope for your salvation all day long. Blessed are you, Lord, who causes the pride of salvation to flourish. That's really a, uh, that's from the Shimona Esrei, the 18 benedictions. Um, which we would, if we were actually praying it, we would pray standing, facing uh, where it was actually even further, even closer, refined, and that is the, the Temple Mount. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately the English does not carry this full force of this benedict- benediction. And the true messianic focus of this benediction, however, is carried in the English, and that is, it's the Davidic reign. It's the offspring of your servant David. David, son of David. Um, and that's what we're looking at in this first chapter of Matthew. But within this, in this Hebrew in this, if you even have any sense of words, you hear the words salvation, you should hear the word Yeshua. Because that's the word that's being said there. And a couple other things, really interesting. This word pride is this word karen. Karen. This word karen is a very interesting word. And in fact, it's been misunderstood to the point that has anybody ever seen old, old lithographs or pictures or paintings even of Moses that had horns on it? Anybody seen a horn on Moses before? That comes from this word karen. In in Second Corinthians, before we get into Matthew, Second Corinthians, chapter three, speaking about the letter and the spirit, it's common vernacular, even to the point that an uh, American that has no background in the Bible understands. Well, that's the letter of the law. That's the spirit of the law, right? Complete. Completely, of course, misunderstanding the entire passage, but it's, it's theology that has caused us to misunderstand it. Chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, verse 4. And we have such trust through Messiah toward God that, that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not the letter, but the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. What's the letter? Well, that's the law. That's right. Okay, now follow with me. But if the ministry of death, that's the law, as some would say it, written engraved on stones, well, I don't want a Bible written on stone, was glorious. Oh, you see, the translators in English couldn't mess too much with that one. It was glorious. Oh, it was glorious. So that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit be not more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation, the law, had glory, and the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory, for even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect, because the glory that excels. For if what is passing away, 
the law had no glory in this respect because the glory that excels for if what was excuse me for what, if what was passing away was glorious and that what remains is much more glorious which by the way I would absolutely affirm therefore and this is what I was getting to therefore since we have such hope we use such we use great boldness of speech unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away have you ever heard that Moses was a charlatan that he was a faker that he covered his face so that the children of Israel would not know that the glory was fading and going away now if you spend any time in any Bible studies especially in this passage that's what you've been taught that is absolutely false if you read the accounts in the Torah what does it say Moses' face never stopped glowing never stopped glowing what was glowing what was a glow it doesn't even say glow it says this word karen horns in the Psalms, David talks about karen, horns of an ox. Actually, it's not the word horns. And in the, in the, in the, uh, in the art scroll, Shimon Esrei translation, it says, the pride of salvation. Karen Yeshua. Matzniach karen Yeshua. Cause it to rise up as a tree, as a branch. Cause him to rise up. Cause karen Yeshua, the glory of salvation the visible representation of salvation to be raised up like a branch like a tree that's what it actually says in Hebrew that's exactly what it says by the way whole new teaching 2 Corinthians whole separate teaching just so that you know 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4 it focuses upon this that what Moses saw was the glory of God in the person of Messiah. That's what he saw. That's what Hebrews 11 says. And what was seen on his face was that very thing. But it frightened those who saw it. And so he covered it whenever he would speak to them. He would uncover it so they would know that what he spoke came from God. But then as soon as he would speak to them, he would cover it so that they would not be frightened. So that's the whole point of his account here in Second Corinthians. But what we need to understand is we want to see him visible. We don't want to see him covered or veiled. Understand what veils Yeshua. What veils Yeshua from those who do not see him is not some grand conspiracy except by the enemy. And it is not our job simply to say, oh, but prophecy says this is it, even though that's good. That's not what reveals him. What reveals him is the Spirit of God. And we need to understand what reveals him is the Spirit of God. And understanding that it's the Spirit of God, not the letter, that reveals him. We need to be very careful the way we treat, use the letter to beat up our Jewish brothers and sisters. We do. Be very careful. Alright, let's move into Matthew. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. I'm sorry, this is Isaiah chapter 9. <laughs> and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Sar Shalom. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with just judgment and justice 
from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts, Adonai Tzavaot, will perform this. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. See, what we open up to in, in, the, in the beginning of, chapter, of Matthew is in fact an introduction. Chapter 1 of Matthew is an introduction to this son of David. Talk a little bit about last week. We, we learned last week not to project our own biases and culture into the revelation of God's word. Unfortunately, we can't. You need to always be on guard against it. You know, you need to always recognize, hey, you know something? I could be misinterpreting this because of my own bias. It's fine to have bias. Everybody has it. We just need to try and discover that when we have it, how to minimize it and not let it, not let it veil or cover the revelation of Messiah, Karen. This first, this first uh, chapter, uh, Matthew starts off quickly to introduce us to God among us, Emmanuel. We're going to see that in a second. King Messiah. King Messiah, the heir to the throne of David, the promised one, and the branch. Okay? What we discover as we look at these titles and at these things here, and the way that Matthew begins this is, Matthew will use this theme throughout the book. These titles, these things. He wants to make a point. If you spend much time in this book, which is a siddur, if you spend much time in this siddur, you and praying those prayers that are in there which are mostly repeats from the Psalms you begin to quickly understand that Judaism from modern times to ancient times has had this persistent messianic hope that's why calling us messianics I do as opposed to orthodox or conservative reformed is a little bit of a misnomer because hopefully, especially Orthodox and Conservative, are Messianic too. A different kind of Messianic, no question about it. But they are. Why? Because that's the hope of Scripture. Only a blind, stupid person would not see that. So what we need to understand is praying, praying those prayers quickly identifies these are their hopes. These people that are praying these prayers, me that are praying these prayers, you if you're praying these prayers, these are our hopes for what? Messiah. To return, set up his kingdom. <laughs> Heaven's great, I'm sure. I really don't care. I want to be wherever Messiah is. And he is going to establish a kingdom on earth. At least in the short term. I don't know beyond that. I don't really care. All that matters to me is I want to be where he is. He's the king. He's king over the world. And the world's going to know it. And that's what Matthew wants us to know right away before he introduces us to Yeshua himself. Is that, is that a sedur? This is a sedur. Is that a book that... Because uh, that stuff... Is practicing Jews? Jews? All the time. Okay. If, well, let me rephrase this. There are reformed sedurs. Mm-hmm. I, I apologize. Please don't mistake. Take this wrong. I don't read reformed sedurs. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with them. <laughs> See? And what I find is that they, the, the Hebrew is the same. Is not, is the same. The English translations right. are not really translations. That's right. They paraphrases. That is true. And they de-emphasize yes, that a is lot true. of messianic hope. That I'm sorry. I should, I should have been more clear. The Hebrew is always the same. 
Yeah. Actually, they eliminate stuff they don't like, but yeah, the Hebrew is the same. Everybody's praying the same prayers. If they're praying in Hebrew, the English is what's changed. Yeah. Um, but I don't discourage people from praying in English. Understand that, even though the Hebrew is always there. Uh, you know, don't get me wrong. There are things that in this in this book that I, I don't pray. But there are powerful prayers, ancient prayers, that our master prayed in as well. And we'll get to that later on. Uh, what we need to understand in this, in geolo- this genealogy, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, we need to understand this genealogy. There's some very important things to be grasped from it. Unfortunately, sometimes people don't see the forest or the trees. People focus on well, that name and this name and that name and this name. And as you saw in your homework, maybe if you're focused on this name and that name and who's missing and who isn't, or counting, because there's 14, 14, and 13, you missed the point. What is the point in any genealogy for you? If you do genealogy work, I raise my hand, I do that, I'm guilty. If you do genealogy work, what's the point of genealogy for you? Why, why do people do genealogy? They want to tie, it's identity, it's our own identity. They want to be tied to something. And, uh, you know, people that came from here, or people that came from there, and, oh, this town, and all, all this geography is always important with genealogy, but the whole idea, this is who I am, right? That's what genealogy is, who I am, right? Well, you know, that's why you do it. Why does anybody do anything different when they read it in Scripture? That's exactly the point. That's who he is. It's defining who he is. But who is he? Why does he do it this way? This... The book starts off, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Yeshua, Messiah, the son of David, son of Abraham. He's just told you the reason why he's doing it. That's it. Nothing else. Are there missing people in this genealogy? Maybe. I don't care. Are there 14, 14, and then 13? Maybe. I don't care. He says there's 14, 14, and 14. Is he wrong? No, he's not. You see, we need to stop reading scripture as the Western mind requires it all to add up. Ooh, wait, that didn't add up. <laughs> um, there are explanations for it. It's not important. Uh, the explanations are fine. I explain it as Yeshua. For there to be a generation, you have to have offspring. God is our Father. We are the children. We're fourteen. We're subjects of the King who sits on David's throne. But that explanation may be wrong. But that doesn't matter. Because that's not the point of the reason why he puts the genealogy in here. What's the point of a Semitic genealogy? It's to show the path for blessing. That's the reason. Right? Why, is, why do we hear about Abraham and his son Isaac? And why is there always the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Well, that takes us back to the original covenant. That's right. So it's the path of blessing. God said he's going to bless Abraham, so guess what? There's Ishmael. But he doesn't say he's going to bless him in the same way that he's going to bless Isaac. So he names Isaac. Because we need to know it's not Ishmael's sons that inherit the blessing from Abraham, but it's Isaac's sons that inherit the blessings from Abraham. And we can go down the list. Well, you know, uh, uh, I mean, there's, there's... scatterings of, of blessings and we always follow that, that that line that contains the blessings which is why this genealogy also has a little bit of problems with regard to a curse in the times of the kings well wait he couldn't be David's son that would sit on the throne because that line was cursed you've heard this before maybe it doesn't matter because what is how does how does how does Matthew finish this genealogy by immediately talking about how how Miriam, Mary, 
the mother, mother of Yeshua is in, does in fact conceive and it's not through Joseph so what was the point of giving us this, all this genealogy through Joseph which is the most common argument against Yeshua as son of David is well he doesn't have the line well as the human reckoning goes maybe not in the way that you would consider it because he's not the son of Joseph this whole genealogy is not about Joseph right it's about Joseph's adopted son which by the way that would give legal standing as well adopted son is just as just as just as uh, much an inheritor as anyone else but anyway this long list of names uh, and yes it appears appears that some are missing but he, li- he lists these generations so all the verse 17 so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 and from David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 and from the captivity in Babylon until Messiah are 14 generations and of course that spells Dalit Vav Dalit David that's the number is the name that's the wonderful thing about reading extant Jewish texts as well is you see this extremely common practice you go huh it doesn't say that <laughs> well you know something our writer of the book of Matthew this authenticates this as a ancient ancient book written by an ancient ancient Jewish man named Marit Yahulevi from a priestly caste That's, this authenticates it because he does it the same way that everybody else in that generation did it if we're left up to the church fathers they'd have tried to fix it or expand upon it or explain why it didn't match because that's where we are as human beings so you're reading the words that Marit Yahu wrote inspired by the Holy Spirit isn't that great? how cool is that? So, if he's priestly, he's from the tribe of Levi? Yes, that's why he's, that's right. He's not called Levi here. He's called Levi, uh, uh, I think it's Luke. Yeah. Yeah, he's not called Matthew. He's called Levi. So, yeah. Um, the entire book has to be seen from this genealogy. Because what's the point? The son of David. You're going to see that phrase used over and over again. Don't just gloss over it. How does Yeshua refer to himself? Son of man. Others call him son of David. He calls himself son of man. What's up with that? Well, we'll get into that a little bit because it is important. It's very important. But he's making this connection for us, son of David. And Yeshua will make a different connection along the same lines. Um, go to Matthew 9, uh, 1, verse 19 through 21. Then Joseph, her husband, Miriam, Mary, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example was minded to put her away secretly but while he thought about these things behold an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying Joseph son of David do not be afraid to take Mary Miriam your wife for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit and she shall bring forth a son and you shall call his name Yeshua for he will save his people from their sins talk about this announcement he's called Joseph a just man what is just? righteous his name he's, he, he was, he's right here he's being called Yosef HaTzadik the righteous if you spend if you know any Hasidic people you will know this word Tzadik when, they, when a Hasidic person refers to their Rebbe 
They're Rebbe, R-E-B-B-E, usually spelled in English. They're Rebbe. They're talking about their tzaddik, their righteous one. It is Hasidic thought that to connect to God, you must have a righteous one between you and them. I'm not validating that. I'm just saying this is this is a this is a idea of having a righteous one, a tzaddik. This is not a new thing. It's not a new Hasidic thing. It's from ancient times that you need that every generation needs the righteous. Every generation needs the righteous. See, and we're uncomfortable sometimes, especially if we come from a traditional background, a Christian background, traditional Christian background, with the idea that anyone can be righteous. Because we say, well, no, no, our righteousness is as filthy rags. And it is. But it's still called righteousness. Every time that the righteous obey God, the fruit of their obedience is righteousness. It doesn't earn them salvation, but it is righteousness. Yes, ma'am. The, the scripture somewhere, I, I can't give you chapter and verse, says that we have received the righteousness of God. That's right. And that's the only reason I can be called righteous. I don't think it's the only reason. I think it's the most important reason. Yes, absolutely. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. At the end of the portion that we include in the first paragraph of the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6 at the very end verse 24 and the Lord and Hashem commanded us to observe all these statutes to fear Hashem our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive as it is this day then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments that's true but it is there isn't it if we observe commandments those are righteousness obeying God really is righteousness but is it filthy rags comparatively of course absolutely so yes our standing before God is not on the basis of our own righteousness but our deeds when we are obedient to him are in fact righteous but understand those are God's gracious gift as well because as Ephesians chapter 2 says he gave he prepared beforehand those good works that we should walk in them so we can't take credit even for the things that we do but they are righteous this man Joseph the reason why this is says Joseph the just our just man is because theology has made it impossible for the translators to say Joseph the righteous man but that is false because that's what it says in the Greek and Matthew when he wrote it down that's the word he was using Joseph the righteous man this is a righteous man good what translation is that? Uh, praise God that's good how can you read the Psalms and not want to be identified with the righteous not just imputed righteousness but the fruit of righteousness is righteousness the fruit of the righteous is righteousness that's right obedience is righteousness so Joseph is a righteous man his son not Yeshua that's his adopted son his son Yaakov is recorded for us in, in early church history James the just his son is called Hatsarik the righteous who called him that? Eusebius says that Hegesippus uh, said that he was called that by everybody. That everybody called him Yaakov Hatzarik. 
James the righteous. Why would they call him that? And, they, and he goes on to tell us. He just tells us why it's so important to understand this man. Hegesippus is a second century historian, uh, church historian, early church historian. He's Jewish. Um, he says that the reason why, the reason he was called this is because he was completely and perfectly obedient to God. I, I don't say it. He said that he obeyed all, all God's commandments. That he was forever in the temple praying. That he had access to the temple when no one else had access to the temple. All the people are, are, uh, are put out at various points. And he could, he could go in. That his knees were like camel's knees because he prayed on his knees. This is a righteous man. This James, this Yaakov Hatzadik is a righteous man. And in fact, he inherits this, this, uh, this wonderful uh, surname from Joseph. Isn't it, isn't it fitting that our master Yeshua has an earthly adopted father who is called Yosef Hatzadik, the righteous? It is. He's perfectly suited. Uh, I've heard all sorts of things about dysfunctional families or whatever else. This is not a dysfunctional family. This is a good man that chosen specifically to be the the adopted father of Messiah. A lot of focus is given on Miriam, Mary, for some of the wrong reasons. That's why I just call her Miriam. That's her real name. As if somehow she's she's uh, she's godlike, and she's not. But she's a good woman. She's a righteous woman. A young lady. This, uh, this pure, this wise, is the perfect mother for Messiah, and that's exactly what we see here. And yet, in her song, she claimed Jesus Yeshua as her Savior. Yes, absolutely. Recognizing that she also needed a Savior. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, what we, we, we're looking at prophecies if you're doing homework you see I'm making you find all the places it says it was fulfilled why is that? well it, it really connects the old covenant with the new covenant it does it does it connects it, it, and that's exactly his point. He wants to see there's there's a con, con, continuation. But here's what I will always want you to understand when you write them down. Uh, we'll get to it here in a second, where it says he will his name's uh, Yeshua because save his people from his sins. Um, this fulfillment. Does he stop saving his people from their sins once he did it? Well, you always need to understand with the idea of fulfillment. God never fulfills and checks it off and forgets it. It's not about making a point or a case. It's about establishing this is the way that it's going to be. This is the way it's going to be. Forever. Fulfilled means that it's going to go on this way. So when when it says he fulfills it, he's son of David, guess what? He'll be son of David forever. When it says that he uh, various fulfillments, rather than preempt what you find, uh, various fulfillments. Whenever you read it, just understand that means he's going to be that forever. Okay. 
Uh, Matthew 1.22 says, So this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call him his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. When was he ever, this is a common anti-missionary to say this, when was he ever called Emmanuel? Can you find any record in scripture other than this where he is called Emmanuel? No, it's not his name. It goes on to say here that's not his name. Actually, the verse before says it's not his name. What his name is Yeshua. So what was the point? He will be called? Well, I call him that. (laughs) But that's not his name, is it? It's a title, isn't it? What is that supposed to be drawing us back to? Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9. And when we read this, when you hear Emmanuel, okay, this is one of the most common usages of, uh, of interpretive practices called remez. It's not the most common. It's a very common practice called remez. Remez means remember. If I say, a horse is a horse, of course, of course, what do you say? What? Mr. Ed, a talking horse? Since when have I ever given you the idea that I believe in a talking horse? But if I say a horse is a horse, of course, of course, what do you remember? You you remember this TV show 30 years ago, all about a talking horse. What in the phrase, what in the phrase, a horse is a horse, of course, of course, tells you that I'm talking about a talking horse? Nothing. But it tells you, I want to give you this whole expanded view by giving you the short little phrase that catches your mind. That's called remiss. Reminding you with a little phrase. The apostolic scriptures are completely full of it, chocked full of it. Unfortunately, what we do is in our Bibles, we see this little italics or somehow you're, it's pointed out that this is a quote. Usually it's not a direct quote. This is a quote which makes you then say, oh, well now I figured out what that meant. And you don't know anything if that's what you think. If you think that that's what that meant, you missed it. Because you didn't go back and read what it said. You just simply took it. What our apostolic writers are saying, go back and read the whole thing. Because there's something here that I want you to remind you about. Because there are no chapters and verses, that's the way that you talk about something. You know, you bring it to mind by getting the highlight. Right? You get the highlight and everybody goes, oh yeah, yeah, okay, I know what you're talking about. So you move on, right? Well, unfortunately, the highlight sometimes doesn't even contain the key words. It just does. The key word is simply to draw you back to the scripture. So, what scripture is this? It's, 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 it's this Isaiah, uh, actually, go to 7, 8, 9, actually, I'll follow it. Go to 7, 14 first. I said Isaiah 9 first. Isaiah 7, 14. He's going to do this a lot as he goes through. Some things you're going to go, huh? And your Bible will have a cross-reference and you go back and read it and it's not it. Sometimes he's quoting from the uh, Septuagint, the, the Greek version of the Hebrew Scriptures. Sometimes he's not. It appears that he is, but he's not. What's he quoting from? 7.14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What was this a prophecy about? What did Isaiah prophesy about? At least two things. Something in the near future for Isaiah and something in the distant future. In the near future, there was not a virgin. There was not a virgin in the near future. There was a young woman. Again, what does it say? It doesn't say a virgin. In the Hebrew, it does not say virgin. I'm sorry, it doesn't. So if you go to this passage to try and convince people, look, see, virgin birth. That's not what it says. It says a young woman. Is, 
Are most young women virgins? I, I hope so. So, it's implied. And the Septuagint says virgin. But the point is, it does say young woman. And I hope that the near term, <laughs> that it really was a young woman that had a son. This is also prophesying, as prophets often do. It's like peaks and valleys. You know, they see the mountaintops together and they don't know there's valleys in between. It's that same thing. You know, it's prophesying about something yet future, which is oftentimes the truth with the prophecy. God works in cycles. That's why the yearly cycle is so important to us. God works in cycles. You find the same things happening year after year on the same dates. So, are you saying that all Mary had to be to, to complete this promise was to be a young woman? Yes. But that's not enough. He tells us in Matthew chapter 1 that it's more than a young woman. Do you understand? But Isaiah, when he made At the time that Isaiah recorded it, if anybody had any inkling, they would have said, a young woman. Yeah. Don't apologize for what Scripture says, y'all. Do you understand? The danger of apologizing for Scripture and trying to find excuses. Take it at face value. I don't, by the way, I do not believe it's wrong in the English to put virgin there. Because that's what the Greek version does. It puts virgin in here as well. And the Greek version is 300 years, was, was, was translated 300 years before Messiah's birth. So it's not wrong to put virgin there. But because that was the most commonly understood. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't go into it, but yes, yes, absolutely. There is, there is a recognized, rec, there's a recognized uh, near, near-term fulfillment. It has to do with Syria, yeah. yeah. Uh, go to Matthew chapter, excuse me, go to Isaiah chapter 8, verse 13. Chapter 8, verse 13. And the Lord of hosts, him you shall hollow, let him be your fear. And let him be your dread. He will build a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Go to chapter 8, verse... Actually, keep reading. I'm going to keep reading. Uh, many, and many among them shall stumble. They shall fall and be broken, be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony. Seal the law, the Torah, among my disciples. And I will wait in the Lord, who hides his face from the house of Jacob. And, and I will hope in him. Here I am. Here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel. For the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. The writer of the book of Hebrews draws from this passage as well. Here am I and the children that I bring with me. These are the words of Messiah. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Pardon me? Only, only that we're, as we go through these, 7, 8, and 9 all talk about this, this, this and this is a, a thought, a thread, a string of pearls. Let's go on to the next one. 8. 820. 820 says, To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. The promise. He's talking about the promise. Fulfillment. Go to uh, 9, 1 through 2. Isaiah 9, 1 through 2. Um, there, nonetheless, nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when he first when at first he lightly esteemed talking about Israel as a, as, a, as a woman the land of Zedlon and the land of Naphtali and afterwards more heavily oppressed, oppressed her by way of the sea beyond the Jordan and Galilee of the nations 
The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Go to chapter uh, 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his children. His name will be called Wonderful. Pele. Wonderful. Indescribable. But it's also the word hidden. His name will be hidden. Which should remind you of Revelation. Uh, A hidden name. His name will be called Wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom in order to establish it with judgment and justice from this time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I skipped a bunch of verses, but what Matthew wants us to do is he wants us to go to chapter 7 and he wants us to keep reading all of them to chapter 9. That's what he wants us to do. When he says, God with us, he's not just making a name. He's saying, you remember that old passage that begins with, Emmanuel? Read that. This is talking about Messiah. Yes. Oh, oh, oh. Yes. Wow, that was quick. Um, 2 Samuel 12. Go real quick. Second Samuel 12. Actually, 7.12, sorry, sorry. sorry. 7.12 says, Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel when I commanded to, sh- that commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built a house, I mean a house of cedar? This is God speaking to David. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, excuse me, uh, to David through... Uh, yeah. Prophet here, yeah. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people. And I have given and I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off your enemies from great from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, and they will dwell in a place of their own, and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, I have caused and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also the Lord your God, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house, a family, a dynasty. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Verse 15, But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul. Speaking of Solomon, but speaking beyond Solomon, and speaking of this person, son of David, Messiah. Uh, we're going to have to skip down here. So this, this promise of a Messiah, it's to come from his body. This is Messiah, son of David. Uh, we didn't invent it. Jews from ancient times have always said it. Messiah is son of David. So, Matthew wants us to know. This is Messiah I'm speaking of. Isaiah chapter 11, 1 through 5, and Jeremiah 23 speaks about this branch that comes from Jesse. Branch. Samach. He's a branch. Remember I said that word, similar to that word in the Shemona Esrei. Matzniach. Matzniach. Karen Yeshua. Cause it to sprout. He's a sprout. He's a branch. He's a sprout. J- 
Genesis 3.15 talks about this promise made to Eve of a man, a promised seed. It is not merely a visitation. He didn't come as a man and is now something other than a man. Remember, if it's a fulfillment, it's eternal. If he is a man, if he was a man born of Miriam, he's still a man. Don't ever think of him as something other than not a man. Does that mean he's only a man? Of course not. But he is a man. A real man. Not an emanation. Not a, not a phantom. He's flesh and blood. He has the DNA of a man. Not only a man, but he is a man. And that's exactly what he wants us to know. By saying he was born of Miriam, he's telling us he's a man. Matthew 121 says he's going to be called Yeshua. Why Yeshua? It's not an uncommon name. It's very common, actually. It's as common as John today. Very common name. Or Yehoshua, Joshua. It's the same, same, uh, same name. It means salvation. But it's not generic because he says because he will save his people from his sins. That's a shock. What? Save me from my sins? To be saved doesn't mean saved from my sins. It means uh, something really bad is going to happen to me. It didn't happen to me. You know, I was about to fall off a cliff and somebody saved me. Right? That's what it means. This is a new application. Saved from sins? That's a new idea. I know how sins are forgiven. But how am I saved from my sins? Why do I need to be saved from my sins? This is a great concept he's introducing here that he doesn't go on to explain. We're going to see Yeshua talk about it later on. But it is, it's, a, it's, it's a great idea to be saved from sins. Wow. This is, this is something more than simply to have a Messiah who comes and sets up a kingdom. This is, this is odd. Go to Isaiah 43. I'm going to go a little, just a second long. Go to Isaiah 43 because this is probably more important than anything else I've said this morning. Isaiah 43.11. <laughs> I pray this. I pray this as part of daily prayers. But we have no Redeemer, no Savior, no King but you. It says, I have declared and saved. I have proclaimed. And there was no foreign God. Oh, excuse me, I skipped too far down. <laughs> Verse 10. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am Hashem, the Lord. And that's his holy name there. And besides me... There is no Savior. None. Zip. Nada. Only one Savior. One King. One God. One Judge. One Redeemer. For Yeshua to be a Savior is an extremely important title. Because it tells us who He really is. He is Emmanuel. God with us. Within these first 25 verses of Matthew, we discover the reader of the first century and the, discovered that to the reader of the first century, the proof was powerful. He's making the point. This person I'm about to talk about, this teacher of the Torah that wandered about Galilee of the Gentiles way back then, that person is son of David. He had, a, he had a right to the throne of David. He was of the kingly line. So, right there, you need to understand the context. This is Messiah. This is Messiah. I'm going to tell you an account about Messiah. 
you know the whole thing well Jesus never said he was whatever fill in the blank anything you know I'm sorry people don't understand the people who are giving the account then because Matthew starts right away what did he say he is he said he was Emmanuel God with us what else did he say he was son of David he was a savior what is he saying these are overwhelming titles these culminate the entire prophetic picture going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 they're being summarized he's the one this is the one pay attention this is the one our master is the one he's not just a Saudi, a righteous one that one can attach themselves to in order to be closer to God he is the Saudi. there is no one that can get us to him to God other than him he's the one so we know right away when we start this story this account that this is some powerful stuff this branch this one born in Nazareth branch town different word but same idea this one here this is the one that wants to make disciples of you are we willing to listen and follow this one to this king that's the question let's close in prayer Father we do thank you that you have given us this bold statement up front this challenge to our to our humanity to our sinful nature that a king has been declared has been revealed has been his glory his karen is visible and we now must decide will we bow our knee and follow him as a true disciple obedient following him faithfully Father we ask that you might give us the strength in your power in your grace and wisdom to be obedient servants to be good disciples we pray in Yeshua our master's name Amen Amen